Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15, and we will begin our reading in verse 1. There are a few passages of Scripture that we should always know where they are. One of them is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I repeat that constantly, I know, over the years. But you should always know where that is. Another one I would say is the parable that we are about to read. Actually, we're going to read three of them. We're going to read about the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. We're going to kind of introduce our passage with the first two, and we will settle in as we take a look at the son. But Luke chapter 15 is unique in that Luke is the only one that shares this story. Uh, probably for whatever reason uh, there, there might have been, I, I don't uh, pretend to know the mind of God, but Luke was a Gentile, according to his name. And this would have been a difficult story for a Jew to tell. When you talk about a Jewish person feeding pigs and eating slop with hogs, that's just a tough, tough story for a Jew to tell. I'm not saying any of the gospel writers were disobedient. Don't read into any of that. I'm not saying God begged them to tell it and they said, no, we're not going to. I'm not saying any of that. I'm telling you, we have four accounts of the gospel. But how many gospels do we have? One. There's one gospel and we have four accounts of it. And honestly, you will not get the full story until you read all four. It is like the same light shining through four different colored gels, but it's the same light. And God uses these guys to speak to our hearts uh, from their own uniqueness. And so it it's, it's all goes together. Now let me tell you one more thing, and then we will read the text. When we get to a parable, one of our temptations is to over-allegorize it. And some of you may be going, yes, I've, I'm, I do it all the time, Pastor. Well, over-allegorizing just simply means we take every little point and we say, oh, well, that must be pointing to this. And, 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 and this over here, boy, that, that must be pointing to something else over here that's going to happen or has happened or whatever. And, and, and we just take, we overdo it. Most of the parables are going to have a main point to them. And we miss it sometimes when we take all the details and we begin to try to sort them out and we try to add our own kind of parable to it. It's, it's you know, one of the problems that we see in our world today is that people look at God's Word like it's a kit that came in the mail with a bunch of pieces and you just kind of come up with your own ideas. You just take it might not want that uh, part over there because that's about hell and damnation. I'm not too much on that, but boy, this Jesus loving everybody and caring for everybody and, and him loving me and all of that and him healing and stuff, those parts go together really well, bolt right up to you. 
when you have an idea like that or a faith like that, that's more of a reflection of you than it is of God. It all comes together as a whole. So let's don't try to make it our own. Let's let it speak to us. One of the things that I would say, if you want to make sure that you stay on track with every parable you read, number one, the setting is important. We call it the rule of setting importance. Jesus has been approached here in this passage by the Pharisees and the scribes. It is a very, very Jewish context to this whole thing. The Jews had separated men and those and women between those who were acceptable to God and those who were not. And many of them felt like they were and uh, they felt like others were not. It was judgmental. On their part, Jesus railed against it over and over. And, 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 and they had all kind of rules about these outcasts. We won't eat with them. We won't hang out with them. And I mean, and they even had it written in the Mishnah and stuff like that. They had, had it on paper that you're not to associate with sinners. You don't ever take money from a sinner. You don't, you don't do certain things with them, and especially you do not eat with them because if you do, that is a sign that you are giving some measure of approval to their lifestyle, and a Jew would not be caught dead doing that. That's going to be important as we read these. Rule number two would be the end stress of a parable. Always look at what Jesus stresses at the very end. One more rule and then I'll hush about it. <laughs> Make sure you look for the direct discourse. You'll have some details in like the second one here, uh, or the third one that we'll read here, where uh, Jesus is talking about a man had two sons and all of that, and then a conversation strikes up between Jesus or, or between the father and the son who went away. And then later, a conversation will strike up between the father and the son who stayed home. Make sure that you pay close attention when that happens. When the actors or the characters in the parable begin to directly talk with each other, that's a good place to find out what's really going on. Let's, let's take a look. In verse 1, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the pasture, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He said, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That would have, they would have understood that completely. Because they knew in that day when shepherds would come in, especially if they were near some village where they would spend the night there, 
They would bring in their flocks, but then word might get throughout the entire village that, uh, let's just say, Joseph, uh, uh, he's still out. He had a sheep out. We brought the rest of the herd in. But, but Joseph is still out there, and, and he's looking for one. He, it's lost. And then maybe sometime over in the night, the cry would come through the little village. That, hey, Joseph found his sheep. He found his sheep, and he's coming down the street, got it on his shoulders, and the whole town would rejoice. It happened often then. They would have understood that well. Or what woman, verse 8, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He's talked about a sheep. He's talked about a piece of silver. And now he gets even more serious. And he said a man had two sons. Now, don't forget that. Both sons are a part of this story from the very first verse of it. The actual parable is about the son who stayed home. The son who leaves and comes back gets all the press. That's the more beautiful side of the story. But remember who he's talking with. And remember why he's giving this parable. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was accepting these sinners. Not accepting their lifestyle, but he loved them. And he was hoping that they would repent and recognize they had sinned. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, verse 12, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his own stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and, and, but no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, uh, that's... I usually love the New American Standard, but the word here is himself. When he came to himself, I know the meaning is he finally wised up. But I think it's, it, it's even a better picture of when he came to himself. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, and I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So important. I have sinned. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now notice he, that was just a rehearsal. When you're in trouble, I, I, I know as a kid, I remember now, this is what I'm going to tell Daddy. <laughs> and he, you start rehearsing it. Well, you know, I, I didn't 
you know, I, I got in a fight, but, well, this is what happened or, or, or whatever. I, I'm trying to get my story ready. He's trying to get his story ready. He says, I, in uh, verse uh, 20, so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves quickly, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring, what, what, are these, what do these things mean? What, what, what could it be? And he said to him, well, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Man, that is an awesome word. Safe and sound. Let, let me just say this. If, if, if you're, you're out there somewhere away from God, I, I hope you don't think God is hoping your life turns into a wreck. He wanted him back safe and sound. He didn't want him back beat half to death. He, he wasn't wishing something bad on his son. He wanted him back safe and sound. So he rejoices, verse 28. But he became angry, this other son, and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Now he's come to meet the other son. See what he's doing? But he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years, I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a commandment of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Ah, the joy of keeping score. But when is this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours, he was dead. What, what was his condition? He was dead. And has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. Tax collectors in that day were Jews. They worked for the Roman government, and they would collect taxes for the government, but you never really knew how much you owed because there were all kinds of fees for, you know, filing late and, and interest and things like that. Could you imagine living in a place where things like that happened? And the tax collectors often would get rich. Zacchaeus did. But they would get rich because they would overcharge. That's how they paid themselves. They would 
make sure Rome got its money, and then they would make sure that they got their own. And they look, were looked upon as traitors. When we hear the word publican, we almost, uh, uh, that, that's not a word that means a lot to us, but he worked for the public. He was a civil servant, worked for the government, but yet he was a Jew. And so the Romans would employ these folks to, to go out and collect these taxes. And, and you were like a traitor in the sight of your brothers. And they hated you for it because it was like you were taking money and you're giving it to Caesar. Then you're robbing us. You're getting rich off of us. It was sort of like I couldn't imagine in the Jewish concentration camps when certain Jews were selected, if they were healthy enough, uh, they would be put over a camp or, or uh, a group of prisoners there, and they themselves would be a Jew, but they'd be beating their fellow Jews with a stick, and, and they would be shouting out commands, and they would be making sure their own fellow Jews were, were working hard and getting the job done, and they were more hated by the Jews than the German soldiers themselves because they were of their own people, and they were doing this to them. So you can... Uh, hardly imagine, I, I say we can hardly imagine as to the hatred they had for them. And yet these people are coming and they're meeting with Jesus because they want to hear what he has to say. And the sinners that they mentioned here were just those that didn't keep the law. Oh, the Pharisees in that day, they, they just looked upon these sinners as well. Uh, they're just not part of us. And we just don't have uh, anything to do with them. They're just not our kind of people. It was discrimination at a, at a whole nother level. And, and it wasn't so much that they were just outcasts because they were impoverished. You know, one of the things that I, I think people just are ignorant about, that's, that's the best word I know to use for it, is they act like, well, the Pharisees didn't care about the poor. And that's what Jesus cared about. And that's why he didn't like the Pharisees. Let me tell you Judaism had three pillars, and the Pharisees were good at all three of them. One was the law. The law itself was a pillar of Judaism. Study the law, read the law, live by the law. Another one was prayers. At certain times of the day, in the week, in the month, you pray. And you pray a different way at different times, but prayers was the second one. And the third pillar of Judaism was giving of alms. That's giving to the poor. So I can tell you Jesus was not giving the Pharisees any slack because they took care of the poor. They had a great plan for taking care of the poor. Jesus didn't come to this earth because he was ticked off about some social situation. That was not a problem. The Pharisees took better care of the poor than anybody around them. While the Sadducees sometimes might be men of means, the Pharisees sometimes could be very poor themselves. But, but they had those, the, those two uh, offerings that they would take, the Tom Huey and the Koopa. And we talked about them some in our studies. And, and they were religious, so to speak, about making sure that the poor and the widows and all of that was taken care of. Jesus had a different problem with them. He says, you look at these sinners and you look at these tax collectors and you hate the fact that they're coming to hear me. Their life could be changed by what I have to say. But you have decided who is right with God and who is not right with God. That's some business that you and I don't ever need to be a part of. Well... 
Then he talks about not only, well, then he gets into the lost sheep. We'll look at it first and then the lost silver. We'll look at these two quickly. He says, let me tell you a story. He says something that you can relate to. And he tells him about a shepherd that loses a sheep. And remember, this is all in a Jewish context. He says, you act like I should care about some people and I shouldn't care about others. I care about all of you, Jesus said. And I love those that are lost. He said, let's just use an example. He said, if you are a shepherd and you have 100 sheep and you lose one of them, you leave the 99 and you go out and you find that one lost sheep because you love that sheep and you care for that sheep. That was a powerful, powerful message for them in that day. And, and I would simply say this, that, that touches a nerve with people like nothing else because you think about it nowadays. It's easy for people to care about poor little animals that look like they've been left out in the cold or chained to a fence or whatever. You see the pictures all the time and people are all upset and, 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 and everything and, and it hits an emotional nerve with them. And if we're not careful, those kinds of images can conjure up feelings and emotions and a level of pity uh, that looking at a human being that, that maybe just lost and needs a Savior would, would never... Those things would never come to mind for us, maybe for them. We think about hatred and being vindictive and hope they get what's coming to them. We care more about animals a lot of times than we do people. A lot of times. There are people in this country that, boy, they'll shoot you over <laughs> hurting an animal, but we kill 60 million unborn babies and for some reason for them that's a that's a political issue that just is a sticky thicket and we should stay away from it really Jesus knew that would touch a nerve I would say two things and we'll move on one make sure you realize Jesus never affirmed the lost sheep's new location see that's one of our problems nowadays we talk about all oh, Jesus he cared about the one that went astray. He did. But he never went to the one that went astray and said, Look, I'm not going to judge you. I think if you want to live out here in the wilderness and take care of yourself and, and you want to live among the wolves and all the danger out here, I'm going to affirm that and I'm going to validate that and I'm going to give you a thumbs up because I'm not going to be judgmental like all those other people in your life. He never did that. He knew that sheep was in a bad place. He knew that sheep could not make it where he was. He knew the sheep was too ignorant to understand that, and he would not rest. It says he searched for it until he had found it. Make sure we understand that. And then secondly, I think his parable also teaches us sometimes it's easier to come to God than it is to come to us. Sometimes when we are out of sorts, God loves us and welcomes us sometimes better than church folks do. That's a sad commentary, but it's the truth. Next was the lost silver. Woman had ten coins. She lost one of them. Two possibilities here. We don't know. doesn't say. If you'd have caught me early in my ministry, I knew all of these things. Man, I should have wrote a book on the Revelation back my first year of ministry. 
knew so much about it until I, well, read it. But there's two possibilities for, for certain. One of them is these people lived on the edge of everything. They lived from day to day to maybe uh, just a day away from starvation. So she could have had ten coins, and it could have been in a little sack or something. That, that it, That's what she was going to eat on, a silver coin in that day like this would have been a day's wage. It would have been, been very uh, precious to her. So this woman that lost this coin, that would have been something that uh, she certainly would have wanted to have found. Another possibility is that when a woman was married, she would have a headdress that was made out of ten coins. And they would be all hooked together with a little uh, silver chain. Ten silver coins hooked together with a silver chain. And it would be very precious to her. It would be like you losing your wedding ring. If you can imagine that, ladies. You know what I'm saying? You threw it at your husband, but you weren't sure where it landed. Now you've got to go try to find it. I hope not. But it, 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 if you lost it, oh, man, alive, you've got to find that. And just going and buying another one and replacing it is not going to do it. It would have been precious for her. And if she lost one of these coins, she would have had a fit. And, and in that day, they had dirt floors, and they had all kind of thatch and almost like straw that lay on the floor. And if you could imagine trying to find a little coin and all of that, but she lit a lamp because all they would have in the house for light was a hole in the wall that was a circle about 18 inches across. You don't get much light in that. She would light a lamp, and she would go all over her house, sweeping it clean until she finally caught a glimpse of the glitter of that silver coin. It was precious. To her, that headdress she wore, if it was that, was recognized by society as hers forever. It couldn't even be taken away from her if she owed debt. Court of law in that day couldn't take that away from her. She received it when she was married. Precious. Thirdly, he talks about the lost sons. The lost sheep, the lost silver, the lost sons. In verse 11 through 16, let's look at the one who left home. This started with rebellion. Verse 12, this young man said, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. It wasn't his. It belonged to his father. And it was odd. It was odd that the father would give anything away like that, especially to the younger son before he passed away because that's when he would normally inherit that. But you could ask for it ahead of time, and he did. He would only get a third. His older brother would get two-thirds of the estate, but he said, I want what's coming to me. I guess we didn't invent entitlement culture. But I want it, and I want it now. It's my money, and I want it now. I believe there's a commercial about that. I want it now, and I'm leaving with it. So it started out with rebellion. Thomas Huxley once said that a man's worst difficulties, and I believe this, begin when he is able to do just as he likes. And if your life is anything like mine, and it may not be, and I hope the early years were not, but before I gave my life to Christ, the more freedom I found, uh, the more slavery I found in my life. 
the more I was able to go and do whatever it is that I wanted to do, the, the, the more encased in that imprisonment of, of lust or, or whatever it was, it just got the best of me. And the deeper I got into life, the deeper I got into trouble, and the more decisions that I could make for myself, the worse things became. Now maybe the coin was... Or the sheep might have been lost by foolishness because sheep tend to wander. The coin could have been lost by carelessness, but the son, it was a willful loss. He decided himself. I, I, I know what I am doing, and I am going to go and do it. Now, you've got to try to imagine the pain of this parent. When you look at this, you have a son that's looking at his daddy and saying, I, I do want the benefits that come with you being my father, but one, I don't want your authority. I say that, and I'm not trying to read into it again, but he's going to ask to be put under that authority later. I don't want your authority. I don't want you telling me what to do. I, I, I know, boy, we hear it nowadays. We laugh about it, and if you young people hear us say these things and we laugh about them and you just cannot figure it out. The day in your life will come. If God lets you live long enough, you will. But I can remember saying, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. I can't wait till I'm old enough to get out of here and get out there and do whatever it is I want to do. Wow. You'll understand one day... <laughs> How dangerous of a place that is. He didn't want his authority. He didn't want his opinion. He didn't care what his father thought. His dad knew this was a bad idea. Knew it was a bad idea, but he didn't want to hear what his dad had to say. Don't care about that. Don't care what you think. You think a different way. That's the way you always see it. That was the way you were raised. Boy, I can tell you, kids are brilliant along about 17 or 18 years old. They should write a book on the Revelation. Yeah, I understand. Not everyone. I, I, I got that. But, but we all went through it. Most of us. He didn't want his father's oversight. I, I don't want to live here. Now I am going to wind up putting myself under the oversight of somebody that wouldn't pull me out of a pig slop. He had just let them eat me alive. That's where I'm headed. But where I want to get away from is your oversight. And I think probably the one that's most heartbreaking. He liked the benefits of his father, but not his presence. Probably the most heartbreaking of all. I don't want to live with you. I don't want to live around you. I want what's coming to me. And I want to be on my own. That had to have killed him. I will say this. Notice the father never prevented him from leaving. No need in it. He's going to do it. And he let him do it. And, and I can tell you, uh, the only way for his son to live in that house, either the son had to change or the father had to change. And the father knew if I change, the son doesn't have a prayer. If I decide to be cool, if I decide that, well, I'm, I'm going to be a 55-year-old millennial, 
Because I want to, I don't want my son to just, you just don't want your kids just to turn and walk away from you and, and all of that. The, the dad knew that if I change who I am, if I lower my standards, if, if I abdicate my position of responsibility, and if I cater to the whim of my child knowing that it is wrong, I can make all kinds of excuses to do that, but... If I change, if I let him change how things are here, he will never have a place to come home to. Never. Parents, it's tough. But sometimes you have to say you have to change because I'm not going to. And they won't understand it, but look at them and tell them because I love you too much. I can let you ruin. I can't help you ruin in every other place in your life, but I won't let you ruin this one because this is all you have. It's tough. Rebellion. It's a hard road to hoe, friend. Repentance, though, came about, verse 17 through 20. A severe famine occurred in that country. Wow, this place looked different than the brochure. How about that? You, you've seen the pictures, you know, they take of a house at the beach and you get down there and you can barely get your suitcase to turn sideways in the bedroom. They're good at that. Mike, Pastor Mike Deese and I were talking this week. I think it was I think it was him, but we were talking about hypocrisy and how we won't put up with it at church and all of that. You got hypocrisy everywhere in the world, and we put up with it most places. Uh, I recently uh, canceled my Direct TV, and it was amazing. Anytime I had a problem with my Direct TV, I would get someone with an accent so thick I couldn't understand them, and and then they would pass me off to somebody else that I am awfully suspicious. Was it a manager? But was the guy beside him? that had just polished off a smoke and come back and sat down. And you never got anywhere. But when I canceled my DirecTV, I got a call. Hello, Mr. Snellgrove. I thought, wow, you've got English-speaking people that work there. And I finally get to meet one. But the way to do that is you cancel it and tell them you don't want it anymore. And then you get the people that are, oh, I hope you're having a nice day today. Oh, man. And don't even get me started about HughesNet. But we put up with it everywhere in life. Shenanigans are pulled on us all the time. The only place we decide that to get on our high horse and ride into the sunset is when we see it at church. And I understand it shouldn't be there, and I'm not trying to justify it one bit in the world. But if you think it's spiritual for you to say, I just don't tolerate that, I got news for you. You tolerate it everywhere you go in life. Didn't look like you thought it would. A famine occurred. And I can tell you now, when you're thinking about getting away from God and doing your own thing and, 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 and maybe hooking up with somebody with whom you're not married, going down that road or, or, or popping the top on the, on, the, on the bottle again or whatever it is you're thinking about doing, I got news for you, friend. It's not like you think it's going to be. 
There was a famine out there. He didn't know. He thought those people lived on the, on the high end of the pole. He thought that is the coolest place in the world to be. He had no idea that in a place like that a famine could occur instantly and leave him without anything. What, they, what he needed, they did not have. And what he was looking for, he never saw. In verse 17, when he came to himself, that's right. The word in the Greek is literally himself. It's like I finally identified my enemy. I got it in the pig pen. I've been looking for him. <laughs> Somebody's been really messing with my life lately. Somebody's been causing me a lot of pain. I need to find out who it is and give them some what for. He met him. He came to himself he realized I'm my problem I am my problem I remember years ago and I could Adrian Rogers oh I have to say it see I couldn't wait till the end of that sentence because I'd have forgotten it again Adrian Rogers was preaching one time and I remember him talking about they were building onto their building and he said it was under construction, and he said, I went over there to where the construction was going on, and nobody was there that day, and he said, I began to walk around, and he said, then I realized there was somebody else in there, and he said, I would look, and I could see them moving every once in a while down the hall, but I yelled, and they didn't yell back. I said, hello. They never said anything back, and he said, all of a sudden, I realized that there's somebody in here that's not supposed to be here. And he said, I kept looking, kept looking. Finally, I itched down the hall, and as I got closer, itched. That's a South Carolina word. That's a half step, okay? I itched down the hall, and he said, the closer I got, I could still see him every once in a while moving, and I kept yelling, and he never would say anything. And he said, when I finally got down there, he said, there was a bathroom there, and the door was open, and there was a mirror on the wall, and the one that was in the building that wasn't supposed to be there was Adrian Rogers. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know it's ourself that's causing us problem. That's the person in our life sneaking around. And these pigs, nothing was worse. The, the feeding these pigs for him as a Jew, nothing was worse. Someone has said that there's an insanity about sin, that it paralyzes in us the image of God, and, and, and it liberates inside of us the, the animal instinct. We become less like humans, and we are, are less like God and more like animals. It, it sin, when we go down that road, we no longer reflect that image of God, but it's like it releases that the animal side of, of us. And then that's when we wind up doing things that we never dreamed we would do and, and, and things that, that we were afraid to even think about at one time in our life. We do it once and the second time it's easier and the next thing you know, you've gone down a road way too far and you don't even know how to get back. He never dreamed he'd be slopping hogs. Nobody does. Verse 18 though, first step of his repentance was he says I am a sinner I am a sinner not I, I was misguided 
Or, or my big brother at home, I can't wait to meet him. He seems like a Jim Dandy dude. Maybe he had given him trouble. I don't know. You can make up any excuse you want to. He says, my, my problem is I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And he says, I'm going to go home and say, Father, first of all, make me as one of your hired servants. Now, when he left, it was, Father, give me. Now it's, Father, make me. See what he's doing? He is asking for the authority from which he had ran. Uh, boy, just make me as one of your hired servants. I, I ran from authority. I hated authority. I didn't like anybody telling me what to do. I don't even care if they were right. They, they, they just would, he, would, he just did not want to hear it. He said, now I have found great security in all of that. I realize now why you made the decisions you made, Dad. There is security there at your house and your home that I don't find anywhere else I am asking you to take back that authority especially over me and here's a sweet part of the story he of course is going to let him come home we'll talk about the restoration now but one of the things to make sure you remember because once again this is one of those parts that comes in that kit make your own theology 101 Oh, he let him come home. But if you listen to people nowadays, you would think that he was driving a truck loaded with pigs and that his dad broke down and let him bring them with him. No. wonder what his dad would have said if he'd have said, look, I want to come home. It's tough out here, but I do have a few of these hogs I really love. I've kind of fallen in love with a few of them. I've grown accustomed to them. And I'd like to bring them home, let them run around the house. They're not as bad as I grew up hearing. That was old fogey stuff, Daddy, that pigs were nasty and stinky and all of that. I've got a new appreciation for it. wonder what his dad would have said. You think this dad would have said, I will come, will come on, son. Maybe I was too harsh. He never let him bring the pigs home. We need, we need to never forget that. He never affirmed or validated his son's slopping hogs. He never said, I, I, I will endorse that son. No, not once did he do that to his son's foolishness. And then the restoration part, rebellion, repentance, restoration. It says in verse 20, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. Boy, here's a busy man. I, I don't know. We, I've. When I used to preach this, I had his father waiting on the porch. I don't even know if he had a porch. Man, sermons used to be so much easier when I was stupid. Back when I could take liberties with the text and feel like, boy, that's, that's of the Lord there. <laughs> I can tell you, but that's not what it says, so that's not what we're going to say. But somehow or another, he did see his son a long ways off. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran. Stop right there. In the oriental culture of that day, grown men did not run in public. I need to move there now. If you see me running, just run. Don't ask why. Try to stay ahead of me if you can. It won't be hard. Just run. 
Sort of like seeing somebody running with a bomb squad shirt on. Just, you don't have, just, you can go. In that day, they didn't run. But this guy threw traditional custom to the wind. Got him a handful of garment on both sides. See, now I'm interjecting a little here. But he took off running. That's my son coming up the road. And he fell on his neck and embraced him and kissed him. Kissed him. You know what the law said? This is what the Pharisees knew. In Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, it said that if you had a rebellious son, take him out to the elders of the city and have them stone him to death. Man, how would you kids like to have lived back then? Don't make me call the elders. But that's what would have happened. One old theologian wrote, I don't remember his name, but I thought it was so good. He said, if you was going to hit this kid with a rock, you'd have had a hard time missing his father because he was all wrapped around him. He loved his son. But that's what the law called for. He was to die for that. Man, but his daddy loved him. He said, bring out the robe Put the robe on him. He said, put a ring on his finger. That's not just a decoration either because in that day, each family that had any kind of wealth at all would have a signet ring that, that they would put on a document and they would press it into hot wax and you would know that came from the Snellgrove household. For him to get a ring back gave him the authority of being a son. Another thing, don't miss it, is that he got shoes on his feet. In that day, slaves didn't wear shoes. You could tell a man slaves from his sons because his sons would wear shoes and his slaves went barefooted. He said, he's not a slave. This boy here is a son. It's amazing. And then he said, go get the fatted calf. That means he had a calf that somebody had been taking care of. He's been fattened. He's been getting sweet feed. We've been preparing him for this. Go and get him. Last of all, let's let Jesus bring it all the way back full circle. Oh, we are all right on time. All the way back full circle. Resentment. We see rebellion, repentance, restoration. And then we come back to where Jesus started. Resentment, verses 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So we know they weren't Baptists, right? And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. I think it's worth noting his dad never went and asked him about it. He gets home, the party's already started. Well, that's because he don't run that house. He lives there just like the other son. He's not the father. The father makes those decisions. Now that's important because he's not going to like 
what's going on. This is not my church, though, and if God wants to accept somebody into this place, that's none of my business. I, I, I can just tell you that. Now, I understand they've, they've got to repent and they've got to want to get their heart right with God and all of that, but, boy, when we get to just acting all judgmental and get on our high moral horses and we begin to act like, well, I, I just don't know about that person. I don't know if they ought to be here. I don't know if they ought to be doing that or whatever. I, 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 just, I just don't have a good feeling about all of that. That might be something that you really want to pray about. I'm not saying that, that maybe God's not convicting you of something that, that you ought to be concerned about, but a whole lot of times if we're not careful, those people might be fine in God's sight. It's just our sight that's poisoned. We don't own this house, friend. It belongs to God. Father never asked him about it, but it says in verse 28, he became angry and was not willing to go in. That's one of the first signs. I quit. I don't fellowship with people like that. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Did you notice his response was, first of all, anger and then with that's usually what happens when people's hearts are not right with God. I get angry, and then I withdraw. I, I would hate to think it, but in a church this size, there's no doubt that if it's not happening, it has happened. We've been here 20-something years, but I think it's sad when somebody's not here because somebody else is here. I understand there can be situations that are different, but if it's just because you got a personal problem, man, you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. Proud, self-righteous. The proud and the self-righteous never feel like they're being treated like they deserve. Never. It's that insatiability. We, we see it in our country right now. Do you think these people that are burning our cities down are ever going to say, hey, that's enough, that's cool, we got it, it's, it's all right now, we're finished, we're not, you know, no, 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 we're good. We're good. Enough money, enough attention, enough laws have been changed, it's all good. No, never. It's never, ever going to be enough, ever. Because when you get that sense of entitlement, it can never be satisfied. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Did you notice in verse 29, but he answered and said to his father, look for all these many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a commandment of yours and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when this son of yours, did you notice he didn't call him my brother? This son of yours, I'm not kin to him. I don't claim him. I have no intimate connection with him. I have severed that. I decided that. That's what happens when sin and hatred begins to build in our hearts. We get angry. We withdraw. Oh, man. And you can put, if you'll pardon a pun for this chapter, lipstick on that pig if you like. You can go, well, we we're decided to go somewhere else because we just felt like yeah, it was just issues weren't being addressed. No, you were mad. 
You should have got over it. But you didn't. I hopefully, I hope that one day you wander far enough down that dark hall to find out who it is you need to be looking at. Because it's not that person. It's probably you. This son of yours. He said he wasted his time with prostitutes. Now, that's the first time we heard about the prostitutes. I wonder if he did like we do all the time, kind of embellish the story a little bit. Huh? He may have. Then the father said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. In the book of Romans, there's a verse where Paul tells us, Do you not know, he asked, do you not know that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? I understand the idea that, boy, preachers ought to be preaching more on hell. Maybe they should. I I don't know. I, I will the first Sunday God leads me to have before. That's not a problem. But I think in our minds we're thinking Boy, if people just knew hell was a bad place, they wouldn't want to go there. That's a terrible reason to want a relationship with God. That's called fire insurance. It probably won't last. I remember as a kid, there was a play that came through our area, and I was a little fella. Oh, my goodness, this might account for some of my issues nowadays. They had a play called I Dreamed I Searched Heaven for You. And people would go and see it, and I'm telling you, it was the screamingest, bloodiest. It was on par with these hell houses that people have around Halloween time. It's like, boys, show people what hell is like, and they won't want to go there. I don't know anybody in their right mind that wants to go there anyway. But I remember, and we'd all heard about it, boy, at one point in that play, the devil comes in. And he would look up and down the aisles, and he was looking like he was coming to grab somebody. And there'd be people screaming and crying and hooping and hollering in the altar, and there were tons of people. Every time they showed it, they would get saved. Man, I was about four years old. I got saved three times sitting right there. I don't think I've been the same since. I remember big old ugly head. People talked about how God was using that thing. I wonder how many people that got all revved up and shaken all over that prayed that night really understood what they were accepting when they gave their life to Christ. We're way better off if we can teach people. And I'm not saying don't preach on hell. That's a bad place. And more people are going there than heaven, Jesus said. So, yeah, we ought to preach on it. But I can tell you, it's not until you realize how much God loves you. If you've ever had a prodigal child in your life, do you know when the breakthrough really begins? Is when that child, that son, or that daughter is able to see through all of the blinders and realizes that, wow, my mama and daddy really do love me.
really love me. I can tell you, that works better than them sleeping in a gully. It works better than them running out of money. It works better than jail. When you realize God loves you. God loves sinners. And, and you and I don't need to ever forget that. God loves sinners. I, I'm excited about us being able to, as a church, our crowds are coming back and all. And I'll be glad when this whole COVID thing is over with and gone. But I am looking forward to us being able to get out in our community more and tell sinners that God loves them. For us to become more active in reaching out to people and let them know that God loves them. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now and I ask you, Father, to take these words. Take these words, God, and use them. Anoint them, God, and I pray this message today. Lord, not the part that came from me, some idea I may have interjected. Lord, I, I pray, God, that the message that came from you would touch every heart here today. Lord, I pray that you have already spoken to someone. Maybe there's someone sitting here today and they realize and know that they don't know you as their Savior. They got the kit in the mail and they put some of it together and left some parts out. They kind of got their own version of that walk with you. But Lord, they realize today maybe, I'm a sinner, not misguided, not hurt by the church, not, not avoiding hypocrites, but maybe they understand now, no, Lord, I'm my problem. I am my problem. Not how I was raised. Not that event that happened to me years ago. God, you can heal anything. I pray, God, for that person today that they come to know you. And Lord, for us that do know you, I pray we'd look deep in our hearts, God. It's real easy for us to legitimize our animosity and hatred and misgivings about our brothers and sisters. I pray you'd help us with that, God. Help us to see them with your eyes. Help us to realize and know there has to be rejoicing. There has to be rejoicing because you love that person. Help us to love them that way as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.